Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, O Lord, in thy sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've mentioned the circle in a number of recent sermons, and for good reason. Every week our youth gather together as a witness to the loving nature of God made manifest in their lives and the lives of others. While others their age are consumed by things they consume, like the internet and social media and attention from co-eds and false identities and even politics, our kids are consumed by another thing they consume, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I don't want to lay it on too thick. I love our youth, I really do, but they can also be completely miserable. I've never been more self-conscious of my balding head than when one of our boys, Luke Riley, (laughs) insists on bringing the subject up every single week that we meet together. Honestly, I don't think Luke really cares about my lack of follicles, but he sure does love to see my reaction when he brings it up every week. Another one of our youth will miss a meeting, too much homework, play practice, or some other obligation, Grace Daughtry, only to have her brother Alex tell me she's not at the circle because a recent sermon I preached made her lose her faith. Another one of our youth, who shall remain nameless, purposely pretends like he can't find a particular book in the Bible forcing the rest of us to flip through and declare the page number only to have him smile diabolically in return. Like I said, we've got some wonderful kids, but they can also be miserable. Anyway, as I've mentioned on a number of occasions, we follow the same formula every week we get together. We gather around the table for communion, for fellowship, for Bible study. Communion looks a lot like it does in this room where we pray for God to pour out the Holy Spirit on us and on the gifts of bread and the cup. And after that, we go to the box. Now, the box contains a random assortment of questions designed to get all of us to share and reflect on what it means to be faithful. An example is, who do you trust the most and why? The question propels all of us to think about the value of our friendships, and it implores us to be thankful for the people that we do trust. One of the more frustrating questions for them is, when was the last time you've shared your faith with someone? Everyone at that table always sighs deeply when that one's pulled out of the box. And one by one, they either make up or they try to share a time that they shared their faith with somebody recently. But a few weeks ago, we read a new question. If you could change one thing about the church, what would it be and why? If you could change just one thing about the church, what would it be and why? Without hesitation, Luke, my follically conscious friend, said, I'd get rid of the preacher. Thank you, Luke. My self-esteem plummets every Wednesday night. Another youth, however, Grace, took the question seriously and said she would make the youth group larger so that we could share the stories of Jesus with more people. One by one, each youth got a chance to reflect about a particular change they would make to this church. And we went all the way around the table, and we ended with our adult volunteer for the evening. You see, everyone has to answer the question from the box, whether you're in the sixth grade or you're 60. After giving the question some deep thought, she said, 
I'd get rid of the preaching too. I've always thought that preaching and worship was okay, but it's not the most important thing of what we do. Sometimes, honestly, you go on a little too long, but I would definitely increase our prayer time. In fact, what if all we did was pray? That's called getting burned. I got burned badly by Betty Harefield sitting up in the front row on the left side of the congregation. The preaching is a little long on Sunday. Are you serious? You all should be grateful. I get you out of here before all of the Baptist churches in town, and there's like 40 of them, and you want to talk about the length of my sermon? Betty, I'm only teasing. I did, I did. (laughs) Dramatic effect. Indeed. It's the thing she gets the least out of. But yet you sit in the front row every Sunday morning. I do think Betty is on to something. What if I preached less and we all prayed more? The psalmist, at least the psalmist of 119, what Chris read for us a little while ago, was a a praying poet pleading with God. There's no preaching, there's no pontificating, there's only prayer. Teach me, Lord. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Turn my heart to your decrees. Turn my eyes away from looking at vanities. Give me life. Where does that kind of prayerful life come from? Praying like the psalmist, it requires an awareness of God's presence at all times and in all places. We can pray like the psalmist when we poetically plead with God, not to show that we are above anybody else, Not out of arrogance, but with remarkable humility and hope. We ask God to give us that which only God can give us. And we can get rid of all the polite trivialities. No more do we need to start prayers with a a listing of God's divine attributes. No more do we need a long list of adjectives before we begin to converse with God. We need only pause and breathe And then declare our faith in the Lord who hears and responds to our prayers. Teach us, O Lord, your ways and we will follow on the path to the end. Give us understanding, God, so that we can observe your will here on earth with our whole hearts. Lead us on your paths that we will delight in traveling the way that leads to life. Turn our hearts to your commandments and not to our own selfish or arrogant ambitions. Turn our eyes from looking at vanities, the things that fade away, the things that do not give life, and instead give us life in you. Confirm to us your promises, God, because we are worthy when we fear you. Turn away the disgrace that we're ashamed of, for you are forgiving. Oh God, we have longed for your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. In your righteousness, give us life. When those words become our words, when we can utter them with true faith and humility, when we can ask for God's will to be done and actually mean it, then our prayers will always mean more than anything I proclaim from this pulpit. As Karl Barth said, when we clasp our hands together in prayer, it is a beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Because this is what we need God to do for us. We need God's help to empower our uprising against the disorder of the world. We need God to teach us and to lead us and to guide us and to turn us. We cannot do this stuff on our own. 
God, thank you for gathering us in this place at this time with these people to call on you to make us into your people. God, come to us now. Awaken our spirits. Give us your light. Be our teacher and our comforter. Speak to us through your scriptures, through our prayers, through the hymns, so that we may hear just what we need to hear. Preserve us by your word. Protect us from hypocrisy and error and boredom and distraction. Give us knowledge and hope and joy. We can pray like that. We can pray like the psalmist. We can do it from the comfort of our bedrooms when we wake up and right before we fall asleep. We can pray from the depths of our souls when we gather in this place on Sundays. Our prayers can be as long and as profound as the entirety of Psalm 119, or they can be as simple and as short as, Lord, have mercy, for I am a sinner. Praying to God is a good and a right thing because it actively makes us participate with the divine. Praying calls us to question the status quo and to wonder about what could be. Praying challenges us to see ourselves for who we really are and and ask for God to make us better. Prayer changes things. And more often than not, the thing that prayer changes is us. But sometimes we need to be prayed for more than we need to pray for ourselves. Do you hear the difference? It is good and right for us to pray like the psalmist, but at the heart of being a disciple is a willingness to share our burdens with someone else and have them pray for us when we cannot pray on our own. Years ago, I helped lead a mission trip to Costa Rica. We went there for a week, and I was responsible for keeping track of the youth at our different work sites, and I led our devotions every evening. A large focus of our trip that week was partnering with the local community in order to empower them, rather than just helping them only to disappear a few days later. Every day, whether we were working on construction for a new school building or we were helping young children in a daycare program, the whole trip was about creating relationships. Of course, for some of us, myself included, this was quite a difficult task since I speak English and they spoke Spanish. We quickly learned, however, to speak with our hands and with the few words that we knew of each other's languages, and we did the best we could. On our last day at the end of the trip, I asked the youth to each pair up with someone they connected with during the week, but not someone from our own team. The kids quickly dispersed to find friends they made over the week, and I watched my sister, Haley, walk over to Jose. Haley and Jose were about the same age. Both had wonderful and loving personalities, but they could not have been more different. One grew up with all the advantages and privileges of an American who grew up outside of Washington, D.C. The other lived day to day without a clear understanding of what the future held. And yet, even though they spoke completely different languages and had different hopes and different dreams, they sat down together and they prayed for each other. My sister Haley went first. She prayed for Jose and lifted him up to the Lord. I only realized later that it was the first time that Haley had ever prayed for another person out loud in her whole life. And after Haley said amen, Jose grabbed her by the hands and he prayed for her. Haley, my sister, could not understand a single word that he said, but she wept as Jose prayed for her. 
I know that this is going to drive some of you crazy. You're going to be a little mad about it. But as the bishop says to us, you are there to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So this is the affliction part. We're going to pray for each other. You're going to feel tempted to find one of your friends in the congregation, someone you're comfortable with, but we all need to resist that temptation. I love this vantage point because I can already see how uncomfortable so many of you are. But in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up and move about the sanctuary. So if you're on the left side, find somebody on the right side. If you're sitting in the back, find someone who's sitting in the front. Find someone you are not as familiar with. And that person is going to be your prayer partner. And you're going to listen to them. You're going to hear what they need prayer for. And then you're going to pray for them. And when you're done, then they are going to do the same thing for you. Remember, God does not need complicated prayers filled with adjectives. God only needs our hearts. So I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. But as you're able, I need everyone to stand whether you're in the choir or you're sitting all the way in the back with the packs, find someone that you're not as comfortable with, sit down together, one of you go first, share what you need prayer for, have that person pray and then do vice versa. And once it's clear that we've all done this, everybody, then I'm going to lead us in prayer. So find someone you don't know and pray for them. <laughs>